Hello, Garby. Hello, Jules. Great to see you. Lovely to be here. Great to see you. Now, you were just back off a, am I hearing, a, a bit of a boys' golfing trip um, <laughs> north of the Tweed. Is that correct? Yeah, not quite a golfing trip. A joint 40th. Um, a bunch of friends in Melbourne. Yeah. No one wanted to have a 40th birthday party, so we said, let's go to the Gold Coast together at the end of the year. And so, there was some golf played. Okay, so a few mates. How far away were the 40ths, though? So it Spanned over two years, in fact. So it was a, it was a biannual trip. So we had a, <laughs> it sounded we, like a flimsy excuse. So we had a mini golf tournament, the 1983s via the 1982s. And mm. um, the 83s got up, and the, uh, the carry on on the 18th green was um, something to be uh, admired or ashamed of, whichever uh, way you look are at we it. we sort of talking like Joel Damon Park? Party hole, shirt off, dad pod, <laughs> shake it around, More spray of a the beer and the... dance around singing Championne, which a couple of guys who were there on dates with their girlfriends yeah, found okay. quite interesting. Perhaps their partners thought it was a little bit bizarre and immature, which I concur with. Yeah, how do you hit them, by the way? Uh, mini golf was, was pretty good. Oh. Out on the course was lovely as well. So mm. it was good fun, um, very enjoyable. So, yep, lovely weekends and uh, happy to be here to top it all off to talk some more sport. If you want to chat to Garby, if you want to chat to me, 0457 736 736. You know, we talked about Minji Lee. I know you love your golf. And Kayleigh McEwen. And the thing about it is, I mean, obviously sometimes they, these achievements get lost in the wash of the more mainstream sports, and men's mm. sports in particular. But, I mean, Minji Lee, her brother, I mean... I can't think of two better ambassadors at the moment for Australian golf than the Lees. And how good's it going to be come the Australian Open to watch them go virtually head-to-head? I mean, they won't be competing... Of course, for the same trophy. Yeah. But the men's and women's Australian Opens are going to be contested. Did you like that? That changed the format. I, I like I like the change of format. What I didn't like was the reduced cut on the Sunday, which yeah. meant that there were there were too few men that could make the final Sunday, which meant Cam Smith missed the cut. Correct. You might remember. Yeah. They've altered that, which is great, and that's common sense. But playing them together, I think, is is wonderful because we have some top-notch female draw cards. Minji Lee, you speak of. Hannah Green's another yeah, one. Steph Kiriakou. Yeah. You know, and, and Australian golf is in a pretty good spot at the moment. We'll have Adam Scott and Cam Smith, Cam Davis, Lucas Herbert here. But if you can't see any of them, you might get the chance to follow around Minji Lee yeah. for a few holes. And, and more to the point, there are young females who want to go and follow those ladies playing um, who are interested in the sport and they obviously relate to them a lot more for obvious reasons. And so it makes sense that Golf Australia and uh, the Australian PGA has gone down that path. They want to attract more people to the sport because, you know, Australia is such a competitive landscape, limited population, Mm. so many sports that are trying to capture that talent at the junior level. Golf has a lot of sand dunes to climb, so to speak. And now we've had this, and I understand this is a bit Sydney-centric, but it's not just in Sydney, but but across the country. You know, this move by the men's government to take a chunk of Moorpark mm. Golf Course, cut it, I think, from 18 holes to nine to expand the green space, despite the fact that they're in close proximity to, to Centennial Park, firstly. Secondly, public course, I think one of the few, if not the only, in that region of Sydney, and a very busy one of that. Yeah, it's an issue in Victoria as well because there's the same debate going on around the Oakley Golf Course. Yes. Um, the exact same subject. Now, the issue I've got with it, firstly, is you know, I'm, I'm happy happy enough to live around that area. There are plenty of parklands as it is. Centennial Park is enormous. Yeah. Queen's Park is enormous. I don't really get the argument that we need to create more parklands. Um, the, the issue I have is that I've seen some of the arguments from the government and from people, commentators who are backing this move. And I think there's a lot of ignorance that golf is for the elites and that if you're a golfer, well, you can just move out and drive 20 metres further out to play another public course or join an expensive club. That is just 
beyond ridiculous because it's not accurate. In fact, to be honest, it's actually offensive. If you go to a lot of golf courses, it is not just the elites who are populating the fairways and greens and, like most of us, the rough. It is... It is people from all walks of life and a complete cross-section of society. And golf has boomed in this country since COVID. And to therefore take away one of the courses in a region that provides a chance for so many to play, in particular juniors, they have a wonderful junior program there at Park. It just doesn't quite add up. And we're asking, encouraging people to get out there and be more active and to take part in sport more and compete more. You can meet people from all walks of life at a, at a public golf course. And if you take that away, well, it plays into the hands of the elites more and more because then people who love the game have to join a club and probably can't afford to do so. Correct. When you consider the entry prices of a lot of courses in that area. Yeah, correct. Uh, maybe too many dog walkers complaining about potentially being hit by a, by a golf ball. <laughs> you know, the fairways are there to share. Yes. The fairways are there to share. You may have a thought on that, 0457 736 736. That's it. I mean, golf is so often taken up by those who you know, love to play contact sport, you know, soccer, football or rugby league or rugby union or, or a cricket for that matter, which are time-consuming, a bit hard on the knees. The old joke goes, Garby, what do golfers do when they retire? You know, sort of that riddle, you know, because they, <laughs> they see it as a, you know, a retirement sport for many. But when you want to slow down, I suppose, physically, it is the perfect recreational pursuit. Yeah, and there are so many young people who love the game as well Correct. who have aspirations of making it to the very top. And, you know, it's not easy for people to, to sometimes access those expensive luxurious golf courses and so the public courses provide us so much they provide such an avenue to get people into the game the majority of professionals don't come from the the fancy golf clubs they come from the public courses then they might get spotted and offered you know a a membership or or some sort of place in an academy at, at one of those fantastic establishments that we know so much about without the public courses you can't quite get into the game and we're seeing more and more of them cut down now across the country for this argument that, oh, it's just for the elites and we need more park space and all that. Well, I'm not sure that's an argument that that stacks up when you consider how many people are playing the game from a wide cross-section of society and how important it is that we provide the avenue for for people to compete and get out and mix with people from all different forms of life and not just stay in their little bubble. I can't disagree. 0457 736 736. Stingray, back in touch. Best Australian sportswoman, Margaret Court, although I know both you and Jimmy Smith have cancelled her. Look, I can't deny her exploits on the court. Pardon the pun. He's still the greatest <laughs> when it comes to just in terms of sheer numbers for, for major victories. Yeah, um, slightly tarnished her reputation post her career, unfortunately. Speaking of women's sport, I mean, obviously, the Matildas I'm a massive advocate for, but I can't wait for the Olympics next year to watch the race that is going to be Ariane Titmus, Katie Ledecky, Summer, Summer, McIntosh. Summer McIntosh. Huge. That is going to be, I think, the number one event at the Olympics. The, the 16-year-old in McIntosh is breaking all the records. Ariane Titmus, who's at her prime. And then and then, she got it back. You know, this, she they, they drive each other to excellence. And then Ledecky, the veteran, who's yeah. still maintaining the pace. Freakish. I think it's going to be the number one event at the next Olympics. Freakish. Freakish. What's this garbage from Tim Payne? Phil Emery, Jimmy Maher and a long list would have been better Australian wicketkeeper test captains than Tim Payne. <laughs> what? This, what? Okay. Did you hear what Tim Payne had to say? I'll replay that for you in case you missed it, Garby, about David Warner and where he ranks mm. in terms of Australia's best white ball batters. This was Tim Payne on SEN in Tasmania this morning. I would say, regardless of whether he keeps his current form up, he's at the top. Very top. I would say he is, what's that say, ODI batters. I would say he is the best white ball batter Australia's ever had. Ever. And and I'm putting him very, very close to the top ODI batter. 
as well. I don't think there'd be too many batters that would average more in one-day international cricket than David Warner. Yeah. I'd say there's probably one or two. And I know that one of them's Mike Hussey, who batted down the order for a lot. So he'd have more not outs. So his average is likely to be higher. But I think David Warner's played like 150-something. Scored about 6,000 ODL runs, 6,500, I reckon. Ricky Ponting scored like 13, but he played 370. So he's played more than double the yeah, games. Yeah. He averaged about 41. David Warner's averaging about 45, 46 as we speak. And I would imagine of all the people on that top run scorers list, barring maybe an Aaron Finch, his strike rate would be far superior. Best well, white ball batter we've had. Look, the only certainty in cricket is Bradman being the best. There's no certainty in this discussion, but he's in the conversation, though. He'd have to be if you look at his stats. I've st- I'd still have Michael Bevan as, as number one. Well, you, this is so, the thing, right? I mean, it's hard to compare. It's, it's like an apples and oranges debate because you've got an opener who came from the T20 era. Yeah. Michael Bevan obviously didn't strike at that rate. Different bats, different boundaries and the rest yeah. of it. But he's, he was the greatest finisher I've seen. His average was higher because he had so many not outs, but yeah. he still compiled 6,900 runs, 232 matches. He played a fortune of ODI cricket. But it was a different era, and his ability to to finish and and pick apart the field was second to none. I think the way in which we've analysed them and viewed them has changed because the landscape of one-day international cricket has changed. So the the series in Australia we would judge them on back in the day, those famous tri-series that carried so much weight. But that's now been altered. Now it's all gone into the World Cups. So... You look at the players who've performed at the World Cups now and and maybe that that bumps them up a lot more when you're analysing them because those run-of-the-mill series don't quite uh, have as much cachet as they did. These meaningless bilateral series, they just get stuffed there in the calendar because, okay, well, if you want us to come to your shores to play a test series this summer, can you come back sometime in October to play a handful of one-day international, say five, because we get the TV money from it? That's that's the ecosystem now of, of... Global cricket. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, look, I don't know how strong David Warner's World Cup performances are. They don't, they're strong. They're, no, they're strong, yeah. They don't, yeah, but Adam Gilchrist was fantastic in that area, as was Ricky Ponting, of course. Uh, Mark Waugh had a really good World Cup ODI record at the top of the order when yeah. he was moved to open with Gilchrist. Hayden's the other one, too. In fact, if you look at their... And I broke down these numbers on the program on, on Friday. If you look at their numbers in the World Cup, Warner, Waugh... Hayden, they're remarkably similar. Around 52, 53 average strike rate. Hayden and Warner in particular in the 90s. War was a bit lower in the 80s, but there's there's a strike match between them. The, the uh, first ODI specialist batsman that we had was Dean Jones. Dino. He was the one that really came yeah. through and didn't quite reach that level in test cricket for whatever reason. But in the ODI format, he was Australia's very best well, at number three. Be, and for our generation, Garby, the thing we loved about Dean Jones, you know, he was flam- He had the collar up and he had the zinc cream yeah. and the Oakley blades or this guy. We aspired to be Dino. He, was he before- ran with, with vigour between the wickets, <laughs> manipulated the field. We got the value of a single and then you hit the bad ones for full. He was before his time. Yeah, he was great. Uh, council shouldn't be developing their Greenland for apartments. Look at Marrickville Golf Course. There was a proposal of turning it into a nine hole with the remaining nine courses being turned into public green lane. Not sure if that happened. Thoughts, says Dazza the Dragon. I remember that being in the paper. I don't have an answer for you at the moment, Dazza the Dragon, but I might do a little bit of research. JK and Daniel says 206. They did it with tennis courses. Now they're doing it with golf sorts, or mm-hmm. golf courses. Well, yeah, White City had that that ongoing debate, didn't they, with the councils there in the, the eastern suburbs. Question for Garby. 
Favourite soccer football stadium when he was in the UK. Hmm. So Stingray lived in London, 2011-2012. Used to love scalping a ticket into Stamford Bridge, Craven Cottage <laughs> and Upton Park. Brilliant. Um, they're all fantastic. Good, because the Liverpool fan, I love going to Anfield, of course. That was unbelievable. Uh, Craven Cottage was great, but the coldest place I've ever been to in the winter. If you sat in the away Four, fan yeah. section, yeah. that when the wind swept off the Thames straight onto the faces of those in the away end, yep. my goodness, it was... Torturous. It is cold. I, I was in London in 01. Fulham at the time were in well, the championship, but they were about to get promoted. because of the t- And it was a great afternoon out because tickets were cheap. Yeah. Get them for, you know, 20 quid. Loved Stamford Bridge because I think it's it's that perfect fuse between your old school ground and the new types of stadiums. So the Old Trafford's fantastic yeah. despite my uh, rejection of their football club because it's it's enormous. I'm the, a Man United fan, by the way. The, I, I realise that. We can talk about that in a moment uh-huh. because they're struggling right now. The Emirates and the Etihad are awesome stadiums, but do they lack a little bit of that old feeling of those the stadiums where you can almost hear the stands knocking together yeah. after a goal? Well, you know, White Hart, people say, when it's oh, the White Hart Lane, Arsenal, they're a hybrid. You know, they still refer to the old grounds, don't you? I mean, this is the inevitable. As the population grows, yep. obviously, you need bigger and shinier stadiums. Stamford Bridge had a bit of that. Yeah. My favourite, though, pound for pound, I think, is St James's Park. Newcastle United. And, and people I don't think appreciate how big it is. It's a 50,000 venue. At, at the time, I think, it's changed now, but there were only three venues, I think, in the Premier League that held over 50,000. Old Trafford was one, St James Park was one, and there was one more which I can't recall. Uh, Man City, maybe, when they moved. Yeah, well, the Etihad. After the Com Games. Yeah. yeah, and the Etihad now, yeah. but um, And the London Stadium is the biggest now yeah. where West Ham play. But... That venue, St James's Park, they've got the one stand that's enormous and then a smaller one on the other side. So it's got a unique aspect to it that I really like. But the best part about it is it's smack bang in the middle of the city. Yeah. So, yeah, Stamford Bridge, of course, in London, and it's easy to get to. But the majority, you've got Anfield or Old Trafford, the Etihad, you arrive and then you have to get out to the ground, which is 20 or so minutes. You arrive at, in Newcastle, you can walk to St James's Park and you get that atmosphere straight out of the train station, walking with all the Geordies. It's special. And they it? are just so passionate yeah, about yeah, the yeah. game. I mean, the atmosphere in that place when Newcastle United scores is, is something else. So that would probably be my favourite stadium that I, I venture to, um, not just for the football venue, but everything else that comes with it in that city. For me, it has to be Old Trafford. I went there, they defeated West Ham... This was New Year's Day 2001. A little dusty, did the drive from London north, but, you know, you get tickets and part of those sort of hotel bundles. So we went there and um, Dwight York scored, I think Keno scored and one other I can't recall. But, wow, 75,000, the singing, the atmosphere and, you know, Matt Busby way and then, you know, we lost the great Bobby Charlton. There's yeah. him and, you know, the, the Trinity with, with Georgie Best and, and Dennis Laura. You almost pinch yourself. I'm living this moment. It was just majestic. Yeah, it's yeah. A fa- it is a fantastic place. And look, as a Liverpool fan, I was lucky enough to be there a couple of times. We beat United at Old Trafford. And that uh, always felt special because it's, a, it's such a hard place to go. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're going through a tricky time at the moment, of course, but the place is still packed. And um, it is a, a wonderful football venue because you are so aware when you arrive of the greats that have played there and the history inside that stadium. What about your mob? 2-0 over Everton in the Merseyside derby. Most salaries climbing the list now, isn't yeah. he, in terms... He's, he's surpassed Stevie Jarrett, I think I read, in terms of goals for 
to Liverpool. Yeah, we, we sometimes have but, these arguments in sport that we you know, we have recency bias and we get caught yeah. up too much in the moment. There's absolutely no doubt that Mo Salah is in Liverpool's best all-time eleven, mm. despite all the legends they've had. The records end any debate on that. He's quite something. I mean, I think he's lost a little bit of his pace, but his goal-scoring ability is still there. Um, Liverpool are looking strong. But a really good start to the season. The mentality seems to be at its peak once more. Um, if they get a cu- couple of injuries in midfield or defence, yep, yeah, maybe there is a weakness there. The attack is a, a number of options. Along with Arsenal and Man City, uh, there seems to be the three of them that are a level above right now. Spurs are there on points. And, of course, we're enamoured with what Ange Postacoglu is doing. But you do worry about their depth. And when things yeah. start to pile up in an injury sense, how are they going to be able to maintain it? And Manchester United are a club that's that has issues right now. I know you won on the weekend and you, you beat um, Brighton recently, um, but they've struggled to really they can't defend, find no. their best. They can't defend at the moment. Uh, quick one before the break. Rooster Mars. Kingy, wash your mouth out with soap. I have a family association with the mighty Arsenal Gunners. That other North London team you mentioned will never be my second team or third or fourth and so on and so on after your statement you have now been officially removed from my Christmas card list. Well, I happen to know Rooster Mars, a number of Arsenal fans who go... I do hate Tottenham a little bit less because of Ange. Yeah, you have to yeah. as an Australian. I mean, it just makes complete sense. What he is doing right now, he's arguably Australia's number one sporting personality worldwide. Maybe Josh Giddy has something to say about that. Sam Kerr's in the conversation. A couple of cricketers, of course, um, would be enormous. But when you consider what he's doing at Tottenham right now, Ange Postacoglu is well and truly in that conversation. It's just... You cannot have enough superlatives to explain how difficult it is to get to that stage as an Australian, without a big playing background, and then excel in the manner that he is right now. And it's not just the type of football they're playing, Garby. It's something about the way he gives his press conferences. Yeah. It's it's captivating. I'm all for Ange. It's like Wayne Bennett. You hang on every word they say or every word they don't say equally. And there's something about it. It just It's really engaging. So the UK yeah. press are loving it yeah, because it's such a fresh perspective for them. You know, they're used to these European managers who perhaps... Can't quite find the word well, in English. And, yeah, uh, and they've also uh, just become a little bit... Robotic. Uh, ...entrenched in the system. Yeah. The likes of Mourinho and Conte, and it's all about playing politics and manipulating the press because they've grown up in that, you know? Whereas Ange has come from the outside, and he's not interested in that anymore. He's 57. It, it is a little bit Ted Lasso-like. No, I'm going to come in with a completely different approach. He knows the game as well as they do, even though some people might yeah. reject that notion because he comes well, from Australia. the Eurocentrism of the whole yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the way in which he's appealing to fans that is resonating so strongly with them and the media, and that's yeah. had a huge impact, I think, in, in the vibe around Tottenham, which is being reflected in the way in which the team performs. Yeah, a lot of mate, 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 mate. Yeah, more, more enamoring than the Eddie Joneses, mate. He's, he's a defensive mate and just got the eyes down. Keep those texts coming at 0457 736 736. Scott Garby in the studio until 2 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, 1 o'clock in Queensland. Don't be shy. 100 bucks cash to give away to the best caller on the program today. Thanks to Tristan Merlihan and Top Sport. one 1170 You're on SEN. Jimmy loves that song. That is, of course, the New Radicals. Not a term that would describe myself and Garby. Daniel Gar, both of us in studio until 2 o'clock. So we've got another half hour. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. Junior Smitty, good afternoon to you. Kingy, I used to play at Casula and Rookwood golf courses growing up. Both are gone. It's now Parkland. I've seen that there is talk about turning Moore Park into nine holes. Yes, that is correct. Well, I live in the Parramatta region too. And I thought, beautiful. We bought there. Golf course around the corner. As soon as he moved in, gone. 
to make way for the new swimming pool. Mm. Disappointed. Yeah, it's a shame. And if Moore Park becomes nine holes, well, good luck getting on at any time. It's hard enough to get on there for 18 holes, especially on the weekend. It is so busy. If it's nine holes, I mean, you're no hope. So it's a big shame. And the government just needs to, I think, get a bit more perspective on which people play golf. It's not the kind of people they think. So, so you wonder is. who they've talked to before they arrived at this decision? Well, I think it's uh, understand the requirement to provide more grassland in the area and there has to be a certain amount of space based on the amount of houses. So they're building a lot of units in the area, so they need more parkland. But anyone who's been to that part of Sydney has seen Centennial Park, has seen Queen's Park. There's more than enough. They're enormous parks as it is. And it's not as if they're heaving and as if there's like overcrowding in those areas. I mean, it's just a nonsense. We all know that state governments have developers in their pockets. Not that we get too political on this program, Garby. Uh, The Asian Cup in January, can the Socceroos win it? Great question. They can. Yes. Mainly because I think we just feel so comfortable in in Qatar, which we saw at the World Cup and which which we saw in World Cup qualifying. And the team has a lot of confidence right now. So who will the big threats be? I mean, the hosts have dropped off enormously. We saw how poor they were at their home World Cup in Qatar. And again, the other day, I think they lost to Iran 4-0 in a friendly. So they're way off the pace. Iran are a strong team. Japan and South Korea always are. Saudi Arabia. And I think Saudi Arabia will be right up there. They beat Argentina at the last World Cup. Of course, they're undergoing somewhat of a boom in football in their own nation based off all the players that have gone there and their investment in the game. They'll be strong, but they'll be all wary of the Socceroos for good reason based on our last World Cup and the players that we have coming through and this vibe around the team under Graham Arnold at the moment. It's fantastic. And uh, I think it's something football fans and sports fans should start getting their head around. January, the Asian Cup, the soccer is a chance to win it for just the second time. And, and Arnie, too, is giving plenty of game time. To, it's a really good generation of youngsters coming through. Yeah, and, and the interesting aspect is... so. People nowadays, look, we're all the same. We follow the Premier League predominantly. And if you don't see Aussies there, you think, well, where are they playing? The talent's dropped off. But as you know, the landscape of the Premier League has changed so much that getting in is so incredibly difficult. So you've got players like Riley McGree in the Championship, who's with Middlesbrough, doing oh so well. The same with Master Wongo. They're both challenging for promotion. You could argue that 20 years ago, when we had Aussies playing in the Premier League at a high rate... The, the likes of McGree and Luongo would have been in that position to get that chance. But it's harder to get it now because the financial resources of every club are so high. They can scour the globe and, and sign a player from Brazil for 30 to 40 million pounds, and that's considered a bargain. Yeah. Whereas 20 years ago, a yeah. bargain was 5 million, so they went for Aussies. Um, so we've got some good young players that are better than perhaps mm. our sporting nation gives them credit for. Conor Metcalf's another one. He's playing in Germany, second division, scoring plenty of goals in a really good team coming through. He looked excellent against England in the friendly recently. So, yeah, there's reason to be enthused and, of course, the World Cup proved that uh, we're on the more than the right track. We're ready to, to win that trophy now. Tony, also best women's athlete has to be swimmer Leah Thomas. Truly unstoppable. We're not going down that path. Suffice <laughs> to say that if she raced Katie Ledecky, Ledecky would absolutely smash her. I loved watching the Swiss Miss Martina Hingis play, especially the Aussie Open. Also, tough as teak Anna Mears breaking it. Yeah, that was quite a story, wasn't it? Breaking her neck, coming back to conquer the lot again. Brett from Penrith. Thank you, Brett. Uh, really good nominations. Martina Hingis was the last of the real craft players before Serena and Venus came along couldn't quite match that power. Yeah, my favourite was Monica Sellis. Now, I know she wasn't the most fashionable, but I was just full of admiration for how good she was. And also, I think part of me just felt really sorry for her after what happened 
in relation to that stabbing yeah. incident, but also because everyone was so obsessed with Steffi Graf because she was maybe the more stylish. Monica Sellis was just sensational. It was such a shame that a career that promised to be potentially the greatest of all time, she was yeah. on track for that, yep. was ended with that horrific incident. 0457 736 736. Quick one before the news headlines. This is from Cookie Boy. Uh, Jules, did anyone notice in the cricket last night the predicted score after 3.1 overs when the Kiwis were batting was 274 runs? Look, I can throw 100 darts. Occasionally I hit the bullseye, Cookie Boy. Whoever is feeding the data into that contraption did a good job. They generally don't get it right. Yeah, predictive is. Uh, these things are very fluid. At the best of times. Good on you, Cookie Boy. Keep those texts coming at 0457 736 736. And the open line number for your chance at $100 cash, 1300 01 1170. Let's get the news headlines. Great to have your company this Monday afternoon. Julian King, special guest Daniel Garb in studio. We might be hearing Garby's dulcet tones throughout the course of the summer. Nathan from Bonnie Hills, a beautiful part of the world, Bonnie Hills too. Perspective. There are 83 golf clubs in City Metro alone. We have so much urban growth. The more natural spaces, the better. I'd agree with that argument in certain parts of Sydney. The area where Moore Park is has enough, has enough parklands, enormous parks as it is. So that's where I'm I'm not quite sure that argument stacks up. But we also need to preserve the game. You know, it's, it's an important sport. And if you don't have public golf courses, well, then you are allowing it to just be an elite game. And that's the last thing we want in Australia. I like the idea, I think it was um, Paul Gow that proposed this, and, and not the only one, rather than two lots of nine, uh, to look at playing three lots of six. Just to break it, you know, I can't quite, I don't have the time for nine, a quick six, or I don't have the time for 18, maybe i bash out 12. Yeah, it's a fair argument. Yeah. Uh, it would certainly help people get out there a lot more. Mm. Don't mind it. Afternoon, Jules. I could watch Paige Spirinak all day. She wouldn't even have to have a golf club in her hair. There's always one, isn't there? Thank you for that, Michael, celebrating our favourite female sports stars on the program today. Does Garby agree with, agree with me that Eric Ten Hag is a wood duck? Surely the next manager to get sacked. I'd, no, I don't think he's as close to being sacked as people say he is. No, I wouldn't say the next to go, but, geez, he'd want to get United tracking in the right direction. They're not playing well at the moment. It's clear that there isn't a style of football and a confidence in the way in which they want to play United right now. They've had a couple of results recently, but they've been fortunate. Um, and if he doesn't get things on track soon, well, then he could be in trouble. They've got Man City next. I mean, they suffer a heavy yeah. loss in that game. Then it looks like, you know, top four becomes a challenge after such an encouraging season last time out. Yeah, then the pressure starts to build. Um but that's been the same old story at United since Fergie left. It looks like they're on the right track and then it falls apart. He's worth persisting with. But the, the problem seems bigger than him because it can't be the manager every single time. Well, I keep chanting lasers out, lasers out, don't they? I mean, it's always a fallback, though. They've spent more money than any football club in the last decade, Manchester United. So what more do they want? I mean, they've got the squad there. I still think a lot of the problem is that Sir Alex Ferguson had such... A, a micromanagement yeah. level of control over that entire football club that when he left, they didn't quite know what to do. And that was evidenced in the Beckham documentary. Yes. I, I haven't seen all of it yet, but Great. little things like uh, everyone had to have the black boots. And I go, no, no chance in hell you are wearing the white boots, David. Black boots all the way. Just... The simple fact that Sir Alex Ferguson met David Beckham when he was, what, eight or nine years old? Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. Managers don't have the time to go and meet academy kids. The game's become too big. The clubs have become too big. Fergie still did that to the end. So when he left, all the people they put into those positions didn't really know 
the level that was required because Fergie had done every single little bit of that for so long that so many aspects of the club started to, to just degrade a little bit. And look, there have been some good seasons that United have had since Fergie left, but they haven't won the league. No. And well, I think they came, I think Van Gaal took them to second, didn't he? And this is the thing, you need an experienced manager. Well, they had Van Gaal, didn't win the league. Had Mourinho. They had Mourinho, didn't win the league. So it's, the problems are bigger than that. Yeah. 0457 736 736. Who wants to play nine holes five years? The whole golf course will be parkland. Uh, yes. Maybe they're going to substitute them for more putt-putt courses. I'm surprised to hear the state government proposal regarding Moore Park Golf Course. Am I wrong in thinking that the state government is made up mostly by middle-aged white men who are golf's key demographic? <laughs> That's very clever from you, uh, crime scene. Sportswoman Janine Shepherd. thank you, 206. Can we ask Garby, how do we fix local football? Uh, Garby doesn't have five <laughs> hours to spare. We need uh, two divisions very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. Love the show. Cheers, Joel. In 60 seconds. Uh, how do we fix Australian football? <laughs> My goodness. And look, this, the second division is something that everyone wants. I don't think it's a panacea for Australian football, but it's important. It's a long way off before it's promotion relegation, though. So it needs to be financially stable. I think we're, we're 10 years off having a promotion relegation system. The formation of the second division, though, is a really good step. Um, and then hopefully we get to a point where we have promotion relegation one day. That would be fantastic, but we need it to add up financially, and we're a long way off that. Speaking of second division, hello, Simon. Hey, you going? That's what I was going to ask Dan. How are you? Hello, mate. That was my question about the second division, um, what your views were on it. And I'm an A-League fan. I've been following it for a long, long time. And I'm not going to lie, I, the quality of it this year, I've only been one round, but mm. I don't think it's, it's up there with, with the best that we've ever had. Early um, days. There's not many marquee good players out there either. That's the other factor, I reckon. Yeah. So early days, let's let the league settle for a month before we, we pass judgments. Um, but that's a fair point. I think outside of having those top-level marquees like Adele Piero, Dwight York, etc., is good young Australian players coming through. That gets football fans as excited as oh, anything. Darren Darren Kunda. Thomas Waddingham, who scored for Brisbane through the Australia Cup. Um, Jordan Boss, who we saw have such a wonderful season for Melbourne City last year. Now he's a fully-fledged Socceroo and so many others. That moves the needle on Australian football more than any other. And I think the league will still provide us with that this season. Just give it some time, perhaps, and that might get you more excited. On the second division, yeah, I mean, it's, it's happening, but the owners run the A-League. So they're not going to allow promotion relegation to happen until they can guarantee that if their club drops down to the, the second division... Yeah they'll be financially stable and you can have a couple of years there and can then come back up. And, and we're a long way off that still. But that is the end goal. In the meantime, get that second division up and running and uh, that will hopefully close the pyramid a little bit more and all those fans that were disenfranchised by the A-League when it came in from the old NSL clubs will feel more connected. What about that, Simon? Fair enough. Fair enough. Have a good one. <laughs> you too, mate. Good Thanks, to hear Simon. from you. Uh, just on that, before we get to another break, okay. How much development do we need to do with regards to infrastructure for a second division? You know, stadia that are up to standard for broadcasters and the rest. Yeah, it's an issue. I mean, there are wonderful grounds like Sydney United, for example. I was out there for the Australia Cup. Yeah. They played uh, the Brisbane Raw in a, in a quarterfinal. Awesome place with so much history. And you think about the great players that have stepped out onto that football pitch. Um, but it did seem a little bit run down. And, and perhaps there needs to be a bit of a boost in that sense. And, and maybe the second division will help provide it um, after a few years. And there's a financial 
advantages that, that take place. But in terms of it being ready for the fully-fledged A-League, yeah, some of them will need to make grounds in that respect for sure. More of your texts after the break. 0457 736 736. Fast running out of time. Time flies when you're having fun. Julian King, Daniel Garb, my special guest in studio. Garby, we'll try and knock off a few more of these texts before you need to hit the frog and toad. Brisbane Eel writes, Arvo, uh, what do you think about a free-to-air broadcaster trying to get the WSL, that's the women's version of the Premier League, on TV to maintain the Matilda's momentum? I think there would have been some interest in it. The problem is the time zone. So if you're a free-to-air broadcaster, look, they do have their secondary channels now, of course, but... Are people going to wake up at all hours of the, the morning to watch it live? They'd watch highlights, which you can do now in Optus anyway. Maybe that would be the issue. But there would have been some interest because we all know the Matildas are a brand juggernaut right now. Uh, John writes, on golf being pushed to an elite sport, I'm aware that parents have to fork out big money for their kids to join cricket mm. and rugby clubs. Why would golf be any different? It is an expensive game. There's no doubting that. I mean, clubs and, and green fees cost a lot, but the notion that it's... And equipment as well. I mean, the notion that it's only the rich that choose to do it is wrong. Yeah. There are people who come from all walks of life who a lot of them are earning good money at the moment or they love the game so much they're happy to prioritise their finances into the sport. And, and further to that too, I mean, I can go down to my local park and just grab a few mates and play a game of cricket. Likewise, a game of soccer. I can't do that with golf. You can't play it. For nothing, no. effectively, in a recreational sense. Uh, should the Hammers get rid of Moyes, says Mark. Okay, okay, the Hammers. Bad loss on the weekend. They may be just uh, plateaued a touch, but let's not forget David Moyes had a really good season with them last time out. I think they'll be okay, but they're the kind of club that you'd want to go up to another level soon with the stadium that they've got. And, yes, there are always knocks on the style of football that David Moyes plays, but I think West Ham fans overall are pretty happy with where they're sitting <laughs> at the moment. What about Moyesy? You know, coming in a bat after Bradman, you know. It's just the anointed one from Alex Ferguson. <laughs> it was always in a hiding to nothing. You yeah. had to feel dreadfully sorry. There are some managers you know. who, who just don't quite work at those big clubs. Roy Hodgson was another one. Yeah. Always done very well at the second tier. Mm. But for whatever reason, his personality doesn't quite resonate and um, with the big egos that might exist in a, in a dressing room. David Moyes did really well at Everton where it was everyone was on the same level. Uh, maybe it's the same at, at, at West Ham. He's going okay there. Yeah, look, he had some issues last season, of course, and you'd want to get them going in or maintaining their status as a top eight side. If not, then, yeah, he could be in a bit of trouble. Uh, Julian King, Daniel Garb with you on SEN Afternoons. My goodness, Garby, we're done already. That was fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, talking sport. Funny how... Uh, Quickly it goes, the time. It's a tough one. It's just a normal it? pastime for us, isn't it? So we got a Rugby World Cup final coming. Well, I know mm. we haven't touched on it. Probably the less said about the Wallabies, the better. Mm. But um, South Africa, New Zealand, who's your tip? Replay of 95. Yeah. Looks very close. I was going to say that New Zealand players will make sure somebody tests their food yeah. before they take the field. <laughs> yeah. South Africa seemed to have been the stronger side leading into this World Cup over the journey. There are a few more doubts over the All Blacks, but then we, we have such a high... Yeah great for them as it is. I mean, I, I, just the takeaway for me is how worried I am about the Wallabies moving forward because it's not just Africa and New Zealand. We know there are immovable as rugby superpowers, yeah. but it's the improvement in a France, in an Ireland, in an Argentina yet again. We know about all the issues in Australian rugby. How on earth do we get back to the top table if we have so many issues in our own backyard when they're improving so much? That is a question for another day, my friend. <laughs> We're out of time. Let's get a tip 
off you as well. Tottenham, Fulham tomorrow at 6am. Tottenham easily. Ange Ball rolls on. Three more points. Yeah, it does. Thank you so much, Garby. Lovely to see you. We'll hear from you again very, very soon. Daniel Garby, our guest from the studio this hour. We are going to clear the decks, ready to take your calls in the next hour of the program. 1-300-01-1170. If you want to have a crack at $100 cash, I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any easier than this. Call me on the open line. We're talking female sports stars today. 1-300-01-1170. And we've got a stack of texts. We'll get through those in the next hour of the program as well. 0457 736 736. We'll also speak to tests from Media Week with all the latest viewing numbers. One hour left on the program. Jules in the chair for Jimmy Smith on a Monday afternoon.